you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, the first chapter. First chapter of John. Uh, we had a, uh, a treat this year for our Christmas celebration. It was the first time that we haven't been anywhere on Christmas but our house. Um, it was the first time that we haven't gone to Jackson or gone to my parents or gone to Susan's parents. And so we were just at our house all weekend. Now, we're leaving uh, soon after this service, and we're headed to Jackson to be with Susan's family. But uh, it was kind of a nice day. Well, one of the added bonuses to that is that my parents were in for Friday and then left yesterday. And my dad got great enjoyment out of me having to deal with the same kind of questions that he dealt with when I was growing up. The, Daddy, can we just open one present this morning? Daddy, it's, I, I know before we go to church for a Christmas Eve service, can we just open one over and over? It reminded me of my days as a child growing up with my parents. And one of the things that was a constant at our house is my dad always wanted us to savor Christmas. He wanted us to drag it out. He didn't want us to open gifts quickly. And the way that he would remind us is he would say to us things like, you know, once we open the gifts, it's all over. Once that last gift's open, it's all over for 360. It's a whole year before we get to do this again. It got me thinking about how do you know when Christmas is here? I saw some things online this week and see if these relate to any of you. You know Christmas is here when there are more pine needles on your carpet than on your tree. How many here still use a live tree? There are a few of you. We don't. We gave up. When we lived in Ripley, we had a guy in our congregation. In Ripley, they used to get the biggest tree I've ever seen in my life and jam it into the sanctuary. I don't know if you've seen the movie Christmas Vacation, but when he puts, you would go, and we had tall scenes like this, and then they would flock it. What? Well, the guy that would go get that tree would always just deliver us a huge tree as well. And we had to figure out how to get in our living room. And one year, when Eli was young, crawling around, grabbing the pine needles and eating them, we decided that's the last year for a real tree. All right? So there's more pine needles on your carpet than your tree. The credit card is smoked along with the turkey and the ham. Christmas Story has officially been on TV for 24 hours straight. A trip to the mall and back is more challenging than the Indy 500. You pull the first all-nighter since college because of the words some assembly required. Can I get an amen out there? Your Christmas list is written in black and your checkbook balance is written in red. The infamous fruitcake returns from its year-long hibernation and then here's the last one santa's is not the only belly shaking like a bowl full of jelly all right now over the last few weeks we've talked about simply christmas right we've talked about having christmas that's kind of simple but the truth is when we look at it christmas is anything but simple here are some astounding numbers the u.s postal service says that on average there are about 20 billion letters, packages,
packages and cards sent between Thanksgiving and Christmas. In fact, they say there are about 12 million packages per day. A recent year, department stores estimated that just in the month of December, they sold $32 billion worth of merchandise. And that that month accounts for 14% of their annual sales. I mentioned that there are fewer and fewer people putting live Christmas trees in their homes. But there is still $485 million spent on live Christmas trees. And 63 million people will travel more than 50 miles from home to celebrate this year. Now listen to those numbers. 20 billion, 12 million, 32 billion, 485 million, 63 million. It's an amazing thing to think that that's all because of one night, one manger, and one child. Luke chapter 2 says it just real simply. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now, we're going to be in John chapter 1, but it's about as simple as you can say that a child was born that completely changed the world. John chapter 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Lest we forget who this baby is, it says, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Verse 9 continues, The true light that gives light to every man was coming to the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of the husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The the message paraphrase of verse 14 there says simply, The Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. There are a lot of ways to translate that verse. It means moved into the neighborhood. It means made his dwelling among us. It literally means that, that he decided to place his tent right next to us in the same areas in which we live. He built his house in the midst of ours. Now there are all kinds of theological issues that come out of that. But this morning, I want to just ask the simple question, what are the consequences of Christmas? What are the results of Christmas? And I want to focus on that one phrase. He moved into our neighborhood. He made his dwelling among us. He became one of us. We're finishing. What's this year we're finishing? We're finishing the year 2000 and 
10, right? The next presidential election is two years away, right? So that means that we're going to start hearing about who's running next week, right? I mean, it's a two and a half year. There are already speculation about who's running and why they're running and how they're running and all of that. But I, I can almost guarantee that sometime within the next year, somebody's going to announce they're running for president, and they will begin to do what they call identification strategy. They'll target people that they are going after, and they will attempt to identify with those people. And so you'll have, because in our country, you almost have to be a multi-millionaire to even think about running for something like President of the United States. You'll have somebody that's a multi-millionaire who has, to, to use a, a cliche, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, who has grown up in the finest schools of the wealthiest places, he will decide that it's time to court the vote of some industry. And he'll go to that industry and he'll walk into the place and he'll grab a hard hat and he'll put on a jacket like the workers and he'll stick it on and he'll stand up on the podium and basically he'll say, I am just like you. Right? They, they do that. That's called identification strategy. And they figure out what groups. You'll, you'll have some people that say, well, this year, you know, I remember... You know these crazy names. You know, about 10 years ago, it was the soccer moms. Everybody was soccer moms. Then it was the NASCAR dads. Everybody was going after the NASCAR dads. And so politicians suddenly became unbelievable NASCAR fans. They're at the track in the pits, and they're wearing the hats. And, oh, I've always been a Gordon fan. What God did was not simple identification strategy. Because when whoever that politician is, be Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, Green Party, whatever it is, when they take the hard hat off, they're going back to their lifestyle. What Jesus did is he moved into the neighborhood. He went to work at the factory. He became one of us. Now, when something that monumental happens, there are implications. I love how a, a church father said, what he said about the fact that Christ had done this. He said that God became a man because we, being a human being, could not reach God. We couldn't reach out to God, so maybe we could reach out to another man. And so the man, Christ Jesus, became the mediator of God and human beings. It says he loved us so that for our sake he was made man in time. The Lord came from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger. The way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst. And it tells us in John chapter 114 that he moved into our neighborhood. I want to give you just a couple of consequences of that, results of that. And the first one might be surprising to you, but here is the truth. If you want to think about what Christmas does, the first thing Christmas does is Christmas divides us. Christmas divides us. It tells us here in John chapter 1 that the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He was with God in the beginning. And the idea there is, is Jesus existed before the world existed. But in His coming to earth, He begins the division that will happen between those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ and those of us who are not. I mean, there are obvious things, right? This is called the year 2010 A.D., which stands for what? I, when, I was, when I was a kid, I thought it meant after death, right? It's not that. It means 2010 
Anno Domini, which is in the year of our Lord, right? So it's based on Jesus. But Jesus has been causing division from before his birth. We talked about, Jeff talked about Mary and Joseph and being at the manger. There is no evidence that there are any other family members with them on that day. There is no evidence that there is any other support with them on that day. Now, the speculation is because the news that an unwed girl was pregnant didn't go over so well in the family. So there was division. Jesus is born. Everybody's excited about that, right? Except for Herod. Herod decides that this Jesus being born is such a big deal that he kills all the children under two in that area. Well, at least when he grew up, people understood him, right? And so they accepted him. And so there was no division there. Well, you had that little incident in Nazareth where he goes back to his hometown and he says, only in a hometown is a prophet without honor. You had a little issue with the religious leaders of the day um, deciding that he was such a threat to who they were that they had him killed. You have his own family coming to him and saying, Jesus, would you just please stop? It says in the Scriptures that his brothers, his mother, his family were outside requesting that they meet with him. And the idea is that they're going to persuade him to quit doing what he's doing. And Jesus says, that's not my family anymore. My family are the ones that do the will of my Father. You have his own words in Luke chapter 12 where he says, He came not to bring peace, but to divide. You've got the early church persecution that comes from that when they stand up on the steps of the synagogues and the temples and they preach jesus and they're imprisoned and they're beaten and they're killed because of what they say the truth is christmas while people in the world think of it as the most unifying time of the year if we get to the essence of who jesus is christmas begins the most divisive thing that has ever come it divides us. That's why it's shocking to me that people are shocked when the world doesn't like what we teach about Jesus. It shouldn't. They're non-believers. A couple of years ago, I was um, in Jackson for the Christmas celebration. I was sitting in a recliner rocking Luke. This is when Luke was still taking naps, was still young. We had to rock him sleep. And I was rocking him partially because... Luke needed to take a nap, partially because we have five children under the age of uh, four at that time at Phil's house that were running crazy through the house, and I need a little break, all right? And so I volunteered to rock. Now, some of you act like you've never done that before. I volunteered to rock Luke. So I'm rocking him, and there's a TV at the sunroom. It was quiet, and I'm just flipping through the channels. I think it was Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. I don't remember. And they, they came up this big story. It was on... What, what do you think about Jesus? What do different worldviews think about Jesus? It was on Fox News, and they had um, Lee Strobel, was the reason I stopped, who is a, a great apologist for the Christian faith, who does great work on who Jesus Christ is. And then they said, coming up after the break, a priest and a rabbi find common ground on Christmas. Well, I don't remember exactly why, but I got distracted from that moment and came back in the midst of the discussion and they were talking about how we can find common ground at Christmas, Jews and Christians. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have anything common about our faith. I mean, they, 
We read the Old Testament. We study that. But the one thing that divides Christians from Jews is our belief about Jesus. And so we have to understand that Christmas naturally divides. You don't hear that in many Christmas carols, do you? Joy to the world. He has divided us all, right? But it's true. It divides. The second thing is that Christmas defines love. It says here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. It it tells us that God sent His Son into the world, and that we have seen His glory, and that if we, that those of us who believe in Him, that we will become children of God. We live in a world where love is completely misunderstood. Love is often selfish. We talk about things we love because of what they do for us. People say they love pizza. They don't love pizza because it's good for you, like healthy. They love it because it tastes good, right? People say, I love my car. They don't love their car just simply because it gets them from point A to point B. They love it for the, re- the amenities, what they like about it, the history they have with it. Even in relationships, people said, I love my spouse or I love this girl or I love this guy because of how they treat me. Most often when we say the word love, we mean we love it because of the pleasure or the benefits it brings us. But when Jesus comes at Christmas, it completely redefines what love is. First John 4.10 said, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, true love involves sacrifice. Love describes what you do for someone else. Love is more interested in the being of the one loved. Love is more interested in delighting and enjoying the one who is loved. Love gives to and serves the one that is loved. Now, at Christmas, I get a little glimpse of that in watching my children enjoy the holiday. Now, just by sheer facts, I don't get near the presents I used to get. You know, I know. The older I get, the fewer I open, all right? And what constitutes a good gift has changed significantly, right? And so my Christmas is no longer lived with what I get. Now, that doesn't mean I don't get good gifts, and that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. But my focus is now on what the kids get. Eli had been asking for a particular item for, I don't know, eight years now, seven years old. He's been, he'd been asking for it for like two years, and we didn't think he was responsible enough to have it yet. And we decided a few months ago that it was okay, and his grandparents offered to buy it. And God bless grandparents. Amen. Their hearts and their purse strings just go right together. Those practical thoughts don't always enter in. And so we agreed to allow them to buy it. And they they were in. And so we were going to let them open that on, on Christmas Eve. Eli had not even asked for it this year because he, we had just told him, when it's time, we'll get there. And so we open up all our gifts and we do our Christmas. And then we say, oh, by the way, before you get ready for bed, we've agreed to allow you to open one gift from your mama Trish and your daddy Jim. And so Eli opened that gift. And complete shock and surprise and joy came over his face. And I happened to glance at my dad. 
who had orchestrated getting the gift. And to see the pure joy on his face as the gift he had given was received reminded me of the way the Lord feels about us when we receive the gift of His Son. It tells us in Scripture that when we come to understand what this Christmas is all about and we accept the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ, that they throw a party in heaven for us. Love is completely redefined. Christmas divides. It defines what love really is. Here's the third thing. It delivers us from mediocrity. It pulls us out of the situation that we're in. I mean, I know most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, could just list time after time after time when it seems we go from one thing to another, from one issue to another, from one problem to another. Like I heard about a lady that was at a church She'd recovered from a painful attack of the gout in her feet. And after she'd regained all of her faculties from that, she developed a severe ear infection. The pastor greeted her Sunday after worship and asked how she was. And before she could even answer, her husband interrupted. And he says, we don't rightly know, Pastor. We just got one end of her fixed, and now the other one's gone bad. And sometimes it feels we go from thing to thing, right? Problem to problem. In the midst of that, we say, does God even care? And what the incarnation says, what he moved into our neighborhood says, is that he cares more than we could ever imagine. When you're lonely, know that there is a God who cared enough to travel the longest distance that has ever been traveled from eternity to time, from spirit to flesh from God to man. When you're ill, remember that you have a God who took infirmity upon Himself, who endured suffering on our behalf. When you've got expectations that continually go unmet, remember in the Incarnation we have a God who was completely disappointed in the people He came to see. It says right there in John 1 that He came into the world and yet the world He created knew Him not. When you've got family situations that are hard to manage, we have a Savior who cared enough to enter into life and understands those family situations. And when you lose someone you care about, remember we have a God who wept at the tomb of a friend. He came to deliver us. There's a song by a rock group that most people wouldn't think of as a Christmas song. But there's a point in the song that talks about what Christ did for us. It's a song by a group called U2. It's a song called When Love Comes to Town. And at the third verse of that, which they made a documentary after that record that they put that song on and they went and toured and they made a movie documentary that came out in theaters and B.B. King sings the song with them and he, they're in there talking to B.B. King, and the lead singer Bono says, make sure you emphasize the third verse. And they, they repeat on the movie four or five times Bono's saying, third verse is what we've got to get across. The third verse is the verse in this song. And the name of the song is When Love Comes to Town. And this is what the lyrics say. 
says, I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. But I've seen love conquer the great divide. And what you see in that is this. That he cared and he loved enough to deliver us from who we are in the situation we're in. So this Christmas, if you're lonely, he's with you. If you're fearful, he understands. If he's, you're angry, he will calm you. If you're misunderstood, he understands. And if you're unforgiven, he is there to forgive. Here's the last thing. Christmas divides. Christmas defines love. Christmas delivers us from mediocrity. And here's the last thing. Christmas demands a decision. It says it very simply right here. It says the true light came in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. They didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but he did not receive him. Yet to all who did. And ultimately, Christmas is a time of decision. Now, for many of you in this room, you've made the decision to accept the Christ child who became our Savior on the cross as your Savior, as your Lord, and you've placed your trust and eternity in His hands. But each Christmas really is a time of decision. I always find it interesting, and I've talked about this contrast with you before, uh, the contrast between December 24th and one week later, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. But one of the things I think can link the two together is this. is because of what Jesus did at Christmas, because of the love and the deliverance that is offered, when it comes time of the year this year, we ought to be thinking about those things in our lives that the Lord has called us to give up, rearrange, restructure, redo, or commit to. And in this week that we have ahead, I just wonder whether you're going to decide on a daily basis to follow the child in a manger. Or if, now that that day is over, we turn our attention back to everyday life and we just live without the Lord's presence a part of what we're doing.